Welcome to ABC Cafe. I'm your host, Anthony Apodaca. It's been nearly a year since I've recorded one of these podcasts, but I'm happy to be back and hope to be recording more soon. Today's guest is Robert Nowak. He is a native Vermonter, teacher, and member of Vermonters for Justice in Palestine. I asked Robert to come on the show and to discuss his recent trip to Palestine. I learned a lot from him, and I hope you do as well. All right, Robert, thank you for joining me on ABC Cafe. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, so I know you through Vermonters for Justice in Palestine. We've both been working with that organization. And through that, uh, it came up that you had recently traveled to Palestine. Yes. And so I wanted to ask about that trip and get you give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your experience there. But first, I guess, uh, let's start with the basics. Where did you go? Why did you go? And have you been before? What's what's the deal here? Well, briefly, um, I've been interested in what we call the Middle East for many, many years. And I've worked in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. I also visited Alexandria and Egypt. And when I was in Boston, I got involved with an organization, the Jewish Voice for Peace, which was uh, dedicated to... Uh, the conditions of the Palestinians. So I, uh, of course, I read a lot about the subject. I would attend as much as possible certain seminars at Harvard. And I decided to go over to Palestine to see for myself if what I'd been reading or listening about was true. And when I got there, I found out the conditions, the oppression, the persecution of the Palestinians was uh, much worse than what you'd read about. Mm -hmm. I've been to Palestine four times. After the, my third time there, which is a year ago, November, um, I got a text after the invasion of Ukraine from a friend of mine in Palestine and she was quite upset because she had heard on the radio, perhaps on a TV, that some journalist was saying or some politician was saying that we had to defend the Ukrainians because they were Ukrainians, because they were Christians. Okay. And she said, what about me? Right. I'm a Christian. Is my hair the wrong color? Are my eyes the wrong color? Is my skin the wrong color? Why aren't I being defended? Why am I not being defended by from, from the Israelis, basically? Mm -hmm. So the last time I went there, uh, which was last November, I went to see friends, and I love the country. But I, was, I went to do research. Mm -hmm. And I have uh, mainly interviews. And I have, I have prepared a presentation, which I hope to be giving soon, entitled The Perils of Being Christian in the Holy Land. Uh, what they go through, basically. And I, I concentrate on uh, five aspects. There are more, but I concentrate on murder and the targeted assassinations on anything that has to do with arrests, incarceration, interrogation, beatings, um, the desecration of holy sites, the um, 
destruction of houses or the eviction from houses, and finally the the difficulties some of the farmers have getting access to their lands for harvest. Mm -hmm. So those are the five things. So that's really why I went this past time, was to do research to prepare a presentation, which I have done, and I hope that uh, people in Vermont will be able to hear it soon. Yeah, we'll um, make sure to tidy that up at the end and all. If do you have any dates set for for when that's going to happen? I I had I will I, I will let you know. I've just it's it's a lot of work. First of all, getting it together, getting all the interviews together, getting it written up, getting all the visuals, getting the uh, getting the uh, the videos, getting some audios, and then finding the proper way to present it. Mm-hmm. And this just takes time. And I didn't want to um, give out notices until I had it ready to go. Right. So right. that's just in the stage now where I can do that. Okay. Perfect. So can you give us a little bit of a, a preview or anecdote about some some of your interviews um, for that? You know, I'm sure you have the information in your head, but... Uh, I would just be curious to know that you know what types of people you were interviewing, and maybe a story or two of something that you particularly noteworthy that stuck with you from the trip. And also, I'd like to know, but, but maybe before you answer that, is where where were you? Oh, that's a good question. I I was in the West Bank. I'm very familiar with it. The first two times I went to to Palestine, I stayed in Bethlehem, mm-hmm. which is you know everybody knows Bethlehem, a small town. And uh, we travel around a bit. And the most recent times, two times, I've stayed in Berzeit, which is a small town, um, just not very close to Ramallah. And it's the seat or the home of, I believe, the largest university in the West Bank, but mm-hmm. certainly the one with the best reputation. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's a small town. I like it. Maybe 2,000 people, maybe 5,000 people. But... Uh, so that's where I stayed. I did do some traveling to little towns around. Um, but those are my main places, Bethlehem, Brzeit, Ramallah. I've walked the desert. I've done things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. One of the reasons I'm giving this talk is because not only to portray the difficulties of being a Christian, and it's not a question of just being a Christian. I, I pick those. I pick Christianity because my neighbors are Christian. I can talk to them about this. Obviously, the Muslims there also have the same difficulties. Mm-hmm. In fact, I mean, the issue is is whether you're a Jew or not a Jew. And if you're not a Jew, you're going to be persecuted. That's just the answer to that. So I still want to get to maybe uh, an interview highlight, but now that we're on this other thread here, I wanted to ask, uh, before we get there, um, wh- what exactly is your particular angle on, on Christian-Palestinian in particular? So, I mean, are you a Christian? Why, why that interest uh, specifically? Well, the interest is mostly, um, I guess, a political one that I'm outraged that the United States gives Israel such support, not only financial support, my tax money goes there, mm-hmm. but also political cover, what I call political cover, UN basically. To answer your question, I picked the, uh, the person who wrote me about the Ukraine. She's Christian, for one thing. Okay, yeah. And my neighbors are Christian. 
So that's why I picked that angle. Here? Yes. Okay. And, and I'm from North Bennington. Okay. And so I, I thought I'd start there. And uh, I'm not trying to persuade my neighbors of anything. I just want to give them the facts. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on. You can make your own decision. But this is what's happening to your fellow Christians. Is there, yeah, yeah so is there um, maybe an understanding or is it your... Is it your understanding that there might be it might be easier to generate sympathy because it's like okay look like you guys are Christians oh, there are yes, Christians in Palestine yes, I think versus that, you know it, it makes it less well I, I think that's really true I think that it's uh, I think there's a stereotype <coughs> of Muslims in this country they think all the Muslims are terrorists and they wear black etc cetera, etc cetera. and uh, Therefore, I think that for the beginning, it's best for me to concentrate on Christians. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm putting Christians above Muslims or Marianites or Druze or any other but, uh, religion that might be there, except for the Jewish religion. And uh, it, yes, you're right. I think they will respond better if they see, hear the stories, mm-hmm. see the pictures of people, see the pictures of um, cemeteries that have been vandalized and churches that have been destroyed, right. things like that. Yes, It's, it's it. also an anecdote to, I think, the common refrain of, oh, this is somehow some kind of clash of religion or clash of civilizations or however you want to call it, that there's sort of, okay, and there's the Western Christian Jewish front versus the Eastern you know, Muslim front, and that, well, you said it already at the, at the beginning of the, the interview, that it's characterized as, a, like, people leaving Bethlehem can be, Bethlehem can be characterized as a religious confrontation, when in fact it's a political, the results of, 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 of political or other social economic well, factors. Well, it's, a, yes, but those factors are caused by the fact that Christians are not Jewish. Yes, but what I mean is, in the mainstream media, it's like we draw a circle around oh, Judeo-Christianity, right. and then that, uh, that, is, that is considered, you know, one block, one, yes. and then the other block is, you know, Muslims and anybody else that doesn't yes. fit into that category. Right. And the conflict is set up as sort of an internal, e- eternal religious conflict instead of a, a political or identity-based conflict that may or may not have anything to do with religion. And the case of Christianity being mixed in there is a case in point, or not all, uh, not every Jewish person is a Zionist, these kinds of things. Like, it's breaking, it helps to, by illustrating the fact that there are actual Christian Palestinians, it helps break down these sort of simplified narratives. Yes. All right, that's my convoluted way of... No, I understand. (laughs) I understand what you're saying. Again, I I think that... Most of my neighbors wouldn't be aware that there would be Christians in this area, and certainly not wouldn't be aware of how they suffer. Of course, they might think that uh, Bethlehem was full of Christians, and it once was. It once was a Christian town. Mm-hmm. And uh, the town I stay in, Brzeite, is Christian and, and uh, Christian and Muslim, but they get along fine. The, the school, which is actually the good school in town, which is run by what they call the Latinate Church, what we call the, uh, the uh, Catholic Church. 
both faiths, Muslims and Christians, go there together and do fine. They do fine, mm-hmm. but they all suffer the same issues outside of, uh, well, many places. So you're asking about some examples. Yeah, let's get to some some. Well, I'll be brief because I don't I don't want to give away the story. But uh, for I instance, I guarantee you the pool of <laughs> listeners to, <laughs> on this podcast will be maybe smaller than your audience. Okay. But, you, but your plan is to tour around a little bit in Vermont. Yes, because right? I I want to just limit my each, my audience each time to about ten or eleven. Oh, okay. To make it more of a seminar around a table. Okay. That's uh, partially because I've been a teacher, and I understand that. Um, also, I don't like PowerPoints. I think that's quite a no, Nobody likes PowerPoints. So, I mean, I just have my little pictures to show people some to pass out. Um, but yes, and I do intend to travel around. I, I wouldn't mind giving it, you know, five times at a church. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's it. But I, I do want to set the tone a certain way. Um, and I would do it for three people. Mm-hmm. I would do it for two people. You do it yeah. for me right now. On That's the right. So <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, I would say that one of the things I've spoken to someone who was in town. I won't mention the town. Who got a call saying that his aunt had been run over by an Israeli army jeep, mm-hmm. and so he rushed there, and she was on the ground, and no one was helping her, and and well, she was taken to hospital. She died. She, it's a little hard to understand. There was a curfew in town because there'd be a curfew. This is what I was told. In the middle of the day, it's not curfew at night now. In the middle of the day, they would shut down. The Israelis would shut down a main street. And this started um, because they would do that when the settlers, what I call the colonists, but known as settlers, would want to pass through the town because on this... uh, on the hills around this town, there were two settlements. Uh, I would assume that your audience knows what settle- settlements are. I call them colonial outposts. They have to do with basic land that has been stolen from the Palestinians, and these um, new villages have been set up. So, and sometimes, again, according to what I was told, the the Israeli authorities would shut down the town just to shut down the town. That was their reason. No one's passing through. And so this woman, I guess she, I'm judging from the picture, she might have been late 40s, early 50s, wanted to go to pick some grapes from her vineyard. And that's, uh, if you know the towns, they're small towns, it might have been a five-minute walk to her vineyard to pick some grapes. And she was stopped by the army jeep, saying, you know, it's curfew. This is the middle of the day. This is the morning. Morning. You know, it's in the fall. Nice day, because it's uh, time for harvest. And she remonstrated with them. And they ran her over, basically. Well, they ran her over. They hit her with the jeep and and killed her. Uh, That's the story, you know. That's a... And no, and no, no investigation afterwards of this. Uh, it never is. I mean, when a when a Palestinian gets killed, I guess so far this year there's been about eighty four or eighty five Palestinians killed by the Israeli forces. Um, there's never any investigation, anything like that. So that's just one. Uh, leaves a hole. She, of course, in the family. Um, then there is one 
just recently, a young man is getting um, getting married. He has a fiance, and on his property, he uh, was building a house. And the authorities came and said, "You can't build a house here. Uh, we're going to demolish it." He went to court, and he got a court order restraining um, the, the the bulldozers or what have you from. Um, demolishing his house, and he showed it to the, the Israeli authorities, and they went ahead and destroyed his house anyway. And not only did they destroy his house, he got sent a bill for, for the, the destruction. The yeah, destruction. for the cost of destruction. And here's a man, is on his own property, he's probably been there, family property for many, many years. Um, and it said, he said it cost him, he's lost $130,000. That's what he told me, but he certainly lost a dream. And the court you're referring to is that—that's an Israeli court. Yeah, uh, they so did. It, they did side with him a bit. I don't know how it would have ended up finally, but he showed this writ saying it was at least a, a temporary. Yeah, so it was a temporary, temporary restraining order. Yeah, from fan, but they didn't. Uh, they didn't. Uh, didn't stop them. There is a woman I talked to who has a land. They had land for one in their family of 100 years, olive trees. And it's on the other side of a fence. So you have to get a permit to go onto the land. And you apply for the permit. And you can go onto the land once a year, once a year for your lands. You're given, if it's a large place, you might be given two days, small day, one day. And so you go there. The Israelis open the gates. And you cannot take any tools onto the land, just ladders, no tools. So all the work they have to do in their orchard has to be done in those two days, and they can't, they don't have access to it the rest of the time. There's more to it than that, of course. And then there's, happens all the time, they have what they call administrative detention, where you aren't charged with anything, they just put you in jail for a year. And there's a gentleman I talked to who was had these invitations to speak, I think, at the EU and also at MIT. And they just knocked on the house one day on the door of the house in the middle of the night, three in the morning, took him out. And he went to this court, which I think is a military court. And he didn't know what was going on because it was all um, in Hebrew. And they just said, you're in prison for a year. And that's it. There's nothing you can do. Um, and there's a very famous, uh, well, well-known, if you uh, get the feeds, of a young fellow, 16, who was picked up in Ramallah recently. And uh, he was beaten. He was beaten in his home before he was put in uh, a jeep or whatever and taken off the prison and interrogated. And he comes from a pretty distinguished family. I mean, it's not that, I mean, they just don't, uh, they don't discriminate. Put it that way, yes. I mean, his his. Uh, I I met his grandmother. Uh, it, was a, it was in a what you might call a suburb of Ramallah, and she's an elderly woman, and she was living in Berzate, the town I visited, and she remembers the refugees coming out of Ramallah in '48. She was a little girl, mm-hmm. carrying whatever they could on their back after they've been kicked off their land. Mm-hmm. So, 
And this is something that not only I am upset about, but you have, I mean, when I was in Boston, I worked with, you know, many, many Jews who feel the same way I do about what's going on there. Very many do. Yes. So those are just three of the little things. And of course, I uh, expand on them with other facts. But those are, well, there are a few more that I've, I've interviewed the people and asked questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely wanted to have you on to speak a little bit about those personal experiences because I, it's easy to get lost in the, the history is complicated, the, they've been fighting for years, the blah, 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 the, you know, uh, Oslo this, and, and, and it's just sort of like, no, there are actual people that live in, in this place where they are subjected to this type of... Um, Harassment, I would say. You know, harassment, harassment and, and persecution, and persecution, and yeah. and even and even killing. It is not. It is. It is not just a, you know, harassment in that light sense. It's actual. Oh no, it's very it's, dangerous. It's, I got uh, something on what's up the other day. Uh, somebody I'd met there was going through a checkpoint, and just as they're about to go through, this was a voice message. Her, a jeep pulled up right in front of them. And her take on it was, if her father hadn't hit the brakes in time, and if they had hit the Jeep, they would have all been killed. Now, I'm not sure if that's true, but this is what they go through, believing that, yeah. that, that they do it. And I am familiar with that in a way, because I lived in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. You know, I know what it's like when someone comes up and asks for your ID with another soldiers pointing a submachine gun in your direction right and it's just not uh, it's just not fun and for the palestinians this happens all the time right and there's that permanent psychological state that you're required to be in for every aspect of daily life that i think is probably well i mean i'm not saying i imagine it but it is impossible to imagine for people living here um except for maybe you know um, if you're an inner, inner city and you're a person of color, perhaps yeah. you, you, you understand the, the daily trauma that people have to go through just to kind of live their lives. That's right. Um, and I, I also wanted to have you on too, because a lot of these, a lot of, um, activism and a lot of the discussions around Palestine do center around the policies of Israel. And again, I wanted to try to take it a step away from that to kind of introduce more of that that human aspect and mm-hmm. just to, to to help people understand what is actually happening on the on the on on uh, every day and when we had spoken earlier you had mentioned something about tear gas oh tear gas yes Can last you, time you, i was there i was uh, i was walking back this was this was in bethlehem and i was walking back back to the place where i was staying and my eyes started to burn and my uh, my throat started to burn. And first of all, I looked around to see if any anybody was burning tires, because that's the first thought, but nothing like that. Then I figured it was tear gas. And I got back to the place where I, where I was staying. It's the Palestinian Museum of Natural History. And all the doors were shut. And I said, Jesus, I said, you know, tear gas, that must be tear gas. And they all kind of laughed at me. So yes, it's, you know, happens all the time. In fact, uh, the uh, Ida camp, which is a refugee camp in Bethlehem, I was told once that it's the most tear-gassed place in the world. 
And these people, they're crammed into a small space. Um, they're staying there in the hopes of returning to the land they were kicked off of in 48, when their families were kicked off their land. Uh, yes, uh, tear gas. The other thing that happened when I was there at, at, in, in Ida camp was that the Israelis came in one afternoon and cut down all the trees. Now, these trees had been there for years, some of them in the cemetery there, and they just, for some reason, decided to cut down all the trees. Mm -hmm. And there's also a monument in Ida Camp. There's a mommy young boy who was uh, waiting for his friend after school, and he was shot by a sniper from the watchtower, and again, uh, killed, and no investigation, right. no consequences. Right. So this isn't war. This isn't, um, you know, someone caught in crossfire, two sides of an army no, the, going the, the, at it. This the, is the power, the power differential is so great. There's right. nothing like that. No. But I do think, you know, I mean, in my opinion, if that ever happens, I mean, it does happen on a small scale. I think that the, uh, in my view, that it's the, the, the Israelis are the terrorists and the Palestinians who are fighting for their freedom. You get the, the opposite story if you read the U.S. press, of course. Right. You know, they, they use language and always color it another way. Mm -hmm. And also, I just want to bring up, you know, my mother's from the Deep South, mm -hmm. and she uh, knew racism, of course, because she saw it. And she kept diaries from the time she was 15 until she died. And in 1948, she said, uh, she wrote in her diary, this was after the partition, she made a mention in her diary. She said, and what about the Palestinians? Mm -hmm. And we're still answering that question. What about the Palestinians? It's still there. Yeah. All right, so to wrap up here, um, how can, is there any way anybody listening can find out when you're actually going to do this? Or is there a, an email list you have or anything? Or is it just, uh, I'm going to start Google it every week until it pops up. That's a good question. I, that's right. I'm going to, I'm going to start in my hometown. Mm -hmm. Just, I hope to get some Bennington. invitation to North Bennington first. Yes. And then Bennington and see to get some reactions. I will go to some people such as you. I mean, I know some people who around Boston area, and I will give it at least at a home to get some reactions, get some criticism or critique. And then I think I'll probably, my plan is to approach the Episcopal Church because they have a, they have a pretty strong statement about apartheid. Mm -hmm. But no, I don't have an answer for that. It's a good question. I do not have an answer for that. All right. So... Robert Novak, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me here. And hope we get things done. Yeah, yes. me too. Thank you. Okay.